Welcome, welcome. I am Mike Gaston. This is The Currency. I'm glad to have you along. I'm broadcasting live from Gaston Manor in an undisclosed location in a bunker. That's what it sounds like, doesn't it? Guys, I'm glad to have you along. This is episode number 65. It's October 18th, and we're talking about the fundamental flaw, democracy's fatal flaw. Glad to have you guys along. I hope you're doing great. Give me a holler in the comments if you are live on this wonderful day with me. Let me know if the audio sounds okay. Let me know if my visage is pleasing to the sight. <laughs> Ongoing joke, uh, my dad used to always say I had a face for radio, so uh, glad to be here. Hey, Doughboy Biscuit, want to say howdy. How are you, my friend? Glad to have you along. Thanks for hanging out. And uh, anybody else in the comments there, feel free to say hi. So we're going to take some time today. We're going to talk a little bit about this fatal flaw with democracy. Uh, thank you, by the way. Doughboy says, sounds great. Glad to hear it. Thank you. I'm always playing with the audio. Uh, you know, if you listen to this podcast after it broadcasts live, if you don't know this, if you're listening on like iTunes or Spotify or whatever, and I say this every time, so forgive me if you know it already, but I broadcast this live. This is a live show on YouTube. You can just look for Mike Gaston Live, that channel. I've got two channels. I've got Mike Gaston, Mike Gaston Live. And uh, we do this on Sunday afternoons, typically around 3, 4 o'clock Eastern in the U.S. And we broadcast live. Um, but I always have to mess with the audio a little bit. It's uh, The mic I've got is fantastic. But man, the software I use, it comes through a little hot. Sometimes it clips, a little fuzzy. I'm just always trying to dial that in. So glad to know it sounds good. But uh, today we're going to be talking about what I think is the fundamental flaw with democracy. And I know that's, it's like sacrilegious to even question democracy as an American. We're so proud of our democracy. We're so proud of our ability to vote. We're so proud of our form of government. And, and I get that. I'm not, uh, <laughs> I'm not here trying to piss anybody off or cause a problem. Not really. Well, maybe a little bit, maybe just a little bit, let's face it. But I want to talk about what I think is a fundamental flaw in democracy, and I think it's coming to a head. I think it's been an issue. We've been talking about this issue for years, and I think it's coming to a head. And no, I don't think that the fundamental flaw with democracy is Donald Trump, nor do I think it's Joe Biden. I don't think it's the candidates. I think, look, uh, Friedrich Hayek said in the uh, road, was it the road to serfdom? I can't remember. I think it was the road to serfdom. He said, look, uh, you know, when you have politics and uh, you, your, your people are chosen by, you know, the, you're going to get people that are attracted to politics that are unsavory. You're going to get people attracted to politics that are in it for the wrong reasons, quote unquote. You're going to get people that are wanting to control other people that are on power trips, that have evil intent, selfish, self-aggrandizing, narcissistic people are going to rise to the top in your political system. That's just, a, that's, just a, that's just a matter of nature. That's going to happen because you're creating an environment when you have a political system. You're creating an environment that, that is attractive to people with bad intent. You know, when there's power, it, it, it attracts the wrong kinds of people. That's not to say that everybody in politics is evil. But for us to bemoan like, oh, Donald Trump and oh, uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, look, these are important discussions to have. I'm not trying to say that it doesn't matter, but I don't think that the people we're dealing with in our political system are the fundamental flaw. That's a, that's a thing that can be fixed. You know, the, the system doesn't preclude good people. It just attracts bad people and bad money and bad intentions and bad systems of power. 
that's that. I mean, that's definitely a discussion worth having. And you know, uh, I've I've voiced some concerns. Uh, I am a Republican, uh, even more so than a Republican. I'm a conservative. Most people don't even know what conservative means. We won't go there too much today. At some point, we'll cover that. But, uh, you know, I have some issues. I have some misgivings. I have some concerns. I have some things that I absolutely don't like about Donald Trump. Uh, you know, primary, one of these things being he's not a conservative, he's a populist. But, but primarily, you know, he's, he, everyone's talking about, oh, Trump's going to be a dictator. Oh, he's going to be a dictator. He's just waiting to take over, which is, which is, it's fan fiction for the progressive left. This idea that Trump is going to take over, it's like, you know, you know what fan fiction is, don't you? You guys know what fan fiction is? Fan fiction is when you're into a certain uh, um, movie franchise, you're into a certain book, like Star Wars, let's say, and you write your own fiction. You take the characters and you take them in a direction that, that the actual writers of Star Wars, George Lucas and team, don't take them. You create this fictitious situation where Luke Skywalker falls in love with you and you guys you know, create this... A uh, wonderful family that rules the galaxy for ages and, and is just amazing. Like, that's fan fiction. You write your own story that makes you feel good. I feel like a lot of this discussion about, oh, Donald Trump, Donald Trump's going to become a dictator. That's just fan fiction for the left. Now, that said, there's a real problem with Donald Trump. <laughs> well, there's many real problems with Donald Trump. But, you know, one of them is not so much dictatorship. It is this family of his that are getting involved in all the levels of government. Uh, we had the same thing with the Bush family. We had the same thing with the Clinton family. You, you really don't want to see a dynasty or a dynasty as some people pronounce it. You don't want to see a dynasty in American politics. That just just bad for the political system. I'm not saying that if you know your brother ran for office, you shouldn't be allowed to. Your mom was president. That means you're not allowed to be. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying, if we're going to be concerned about something real, Let's focus on that. But today, that is not what I'm getting at when I talk about democracy's fatal flaw. By the way, let me just say hello to George. Welcome, my friend. Glad to see you all the way in, all the way in from Austria. Hope things are going well for you, my friend. I'm hoping that Pro-Ed Jansen pops up today because in the last, uh, in the last episode of The Currency, he popped up real quick and said, hey, uh, I can't make it today. My son made the Italian national. I think the Italian nationals for uh, hockey. I want to say, if I remember correctly. And I had a guest on. We were interviewing um, presidential hopeful uh, Tom Hofling, and I wasn't able to really give Proed the attention to say, "Wow, what a huge thing!" So, Proed, if you're in the audience now or you're watching afterwards, man, what an amazing thing! I'd love to hear more about that. But you must be so proud as a father, and I know you are a professional golfer yourself and a professional golf instructor. So I know having a son accomplish this type of sporting achievement has just got to be phenomenal for you. So congratulations! Very happy with what uh, you shared with us, and would love to learn more. George says, Mike, you would be the only dictator for life. See, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. And let's face it, the currency, this podcast, let's face what it really is. Today, we're just a small band of merry ne'er-do-wells getting together on a Sunday, having a chat. Folks are listening in the audience after the fact, enjoying the quality content being put out. But the fact of the matter is, the truth of the matter is, this podcast, friends, this is kind of laying the groundwork for my state media when I take over. Every, every dictator has to have state media. Why not start now? Why not start now? I remember, uh, who was it? It wasn't Evo Morales. Uh, I can't, I'm going blank now. The guy that was running 
Um, oh, shoot. I'm going to go blank. The guy that was running a Southern American country, um, Chile, the, before the current uh, socialist dictator, there was the, the first socialist dictator in Chile. And he would do these like three-hour rants on television, these long, sweaty three-hour rants. And uh, it's not Maduro. I don't think it's Maduro. Help me out. George, you're the book of knowledge on this um, on this podcast. I don't know if you know who it was, but the dictator. Pinochet, no, uh, great question, great answer though. Pinochet, wow. No, just, I, I think it, it wasn't uh, Maduro, but just the guy who died not too long ago. And then I think Maduro took over. Isn't Maduro president now? I don't know. Long and short of it though, every dictator needs quality state media. And that's what this is. The currency is the state media for my glorious reign. <laughs> Chavez, Hugo Chavez, George, ding, 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 the winner. How much, do, George, where would this show be without you, honestly? But where would the show be without anybody? I'm so grateful for you guys in the audience. I'm hoping that, uh, I'm hoping that we see some of our regulars. We've got George, we've got Doughboy in the crowd. Hopefully we'll see Pauline, maybe uh, some other folks pop in. But today we're going to be talking about, today we're going to be talking about democracy's fatal flaw. Before we do that, I just want to mention, and this is for my good friend, Mike Sukanko, longtime listener, fantastic fan. After every episode, he calls me and gives me feedback. But I want to let everyone know it has been 80 days uh, and we have still not heard from Big Boy's corporate headquarters. If you remember, back on July 11th, I offered Big Boy. We did a little, we did a little uh, episode on Big Boy restaurants, and I offered my marketing and branding expertise. Uh, we have yet to hear from them, 80 days. We're coming up on three months solid without hearing from Big Boy's corporate office. Uh, I will hold my breath because I believe they're wanting to get in touch. They just haven't gotten there yet. They're trying to work through their stack of papers and their COVID-19 issues. Uh, but call me because Big Boy, I think I can turn this ship around for you and put you on to the right horizon, the horizon the, uh, the path to not only enlightenment, but riches as well. That's what we do here at The Currency. We, we create enlightenment and riches uh, or triple your money back. George says, FYI, YouTube didn't show the live stream in my subs and then the bell didn't work either. You see, already they're on to me. They are suppressing me. It's, it, I finally made it as an alt-right dark web intellectual. <laughs> YouTube suppressing me, suppressing me. Well, they may have. I mean, I used George Stephanopoulos's uh, mug as the uh, thumbnail, album art. And I know George Stephanopoulos is in the news right now, uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about this today, but uh, it may be <laughs> that the algorithm said no Stephanopoulos will, uh, for you, my friend. So I don't know. Maybe it got suppressed. Um, George says, maybe you had the wrong candidate. On. Yes. So last time we had Tom Hoefling on, maybe YouTube's upset about that. I don't know. He was a great guest. I, I, I know it was a departure from the regular content and I want to experiment a little bit. I think it's good to experiment. I'm grateful that uh, Doughboy Biscuit made the connection. He's actually an elector Doughboy for uh, Tom and um, he got him on the show. I think it was an interesting conversation. I know that it, it, that kind of stuff's not for everybody, but I'm not going to apologize. Let's experiment with stuff. Let's try different things. I don't want to lose my audience. You know, I don't want to bring people on and people are like, I'm out. But on the other hand, let's, 
let's stretch our thinking a little bit and, uh, you know, tackle a topic. If it's not for you, fair enough, but we're going to keep marching on. So yeah, maybe, maybe it was the wrong candidate last time. I'll get uh, Joe Biden on here. Sleepy Joe as uh, our, our, our commander in chief likes to call him. Okay. Let's, let's get into today's topic. I, um, want to take just a few minutes. We're not going to go too long today. And whenever I say that, we usually go long, but we're not going to go too long. I want to talk about democracy's fatal flaw. Now, this isn't bombastic. You know, you put a title out there, it's kind of clickbait, you know, democracy's fatal flaw. This isn't kind of like a, um, you know, one of these articles that you see a BuzzFeed article on Facebook where it's this bombastic title and then doesn't deliver the goods. I want to talk a little bit about democracy. And if you think about democracy, what is it that makes democracy work? What is democracy? Now, if you break the Greek word down, and we're not going to get into like a Greek lesson here, but if you break the Greek word down, it's mob rule. It's the demos, the mob. Democracy is mob rule, you know, and that just essentially means that the majority makes a decision. Uh, A fantastic, fantastic uh, book, if you want to read something from the ancients, uh, from the Greeks, that um, at the same time seems very modern in a way, and it explores and and reveals this idea of democracy, is uh, Xenophon's Anabasis. I read this, oh, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years ago. I was actually on a trip. We were in South Africa. I was taking a long family vacation. It's the last big family vacation where the whole family, we did six weeks together uh, at the ocean in South Africa, seeing family relax and rejuvenating and so on. But I brought along this uh, Xenophon or Xenophon's Anabasis, and it essentially tracks the historical experience of a band of Greek fighters that joined in uh, a Persian war. They were kind of mercenaries, I guess. They were helping, I want to say Cyrus. I'm not sure which Cyrus, if it was Cyrus the Great or whatever, but there was a battle between brothers, the Persian kings, and they were trying to help this one man that they thought had virtue. He was a great man of quality and so on, and they joined along to help fight Cyrus, and the battle went sideways. It, the, you know, the battle went sideways, and Cyrus uh, took a wound and died, and, um, and his armies were scattered. And so you had this band of Greeks thousands of miles from home. And I'm exaggerating. I don't know how far, but they were very far from home, and no easy way to get back, no easy way to get back. And what it does, it tracks their, it tells the story of them making their way back to Greece, to their respective homes. And what's interesting about this is it is a demonstration of democracy in action. There, there was no commander that just said, here's what you're going to do. There were commanders, there were leaders. This isn't like just a, it wasn't anarchy. This wasn't like a mob of guys, a bunch of libertarians, you know? Yeah, dude, we're anar- anarcho-capitalist libertarians. You know? <laughs> they didn't have the internet back then. They weren't that sophisticated with all their different labels. But essentially, it was tracking the movement of this band. And I want to say it was 10,000. I could be wrong. Maybe it was 1,000, it was 10,000. But these men that were making their way back through hostile and strange foreign land to eventually get to their homes. And what was fascinating about this, as they encountered different situations, different oppositions, different challenges, both internally and externally, enemies and strange situations and uh, catastrophes and so on, they were using democracy to figure out what to do. They would get together. uh, Different guys in the band would make their argument for what they thought should happen. The crowd would listen. And then the crowd would, you know, vote, essentially, and make a decision on what should we do as a group. 
And it showed how this group through democracy got themselves home. And there were losses, there were hardships. This wasn't just like a little walk in the park for them. But you know, you look at classical literature, I mean, this book is thousands of years old, pre-Christ. And it, it is modeling for the world uh, how a democracy works, even in the midst of chaos, even in the midst of strangeness and darkness and alienation and isolation. This group was able to use democracy to navigate itself through a hostile world. Now, what's interesting about this book when you read it, and I find this about with some of the Greek classics, not that, not that all I do is read the Greek classics, mind you, but... Uh, <laughs> Boy, that was a humble brag, wasn't it? <laughs> well, after I beat Chuck Norris to the ground, and as I was standing over him, thinking to myself, he really needs to get his act together, I decided to maybe read a Greek classic later that afternoon. No, but uh, And that's, uh, I have to do a little head nod to a guy named uh, Brant Hansen. That was a shtick that he had, very funny about uh, the leading pastor of pastoring pastors and just all these humble brags. Anyway, that was back in the days of blogs. I digress. I digress, my friends. What's interesting about the Greek classics, many of them, I think of the, of, uh, the Iliad, the Odyssey, I think of uh, Xenophon's Anabasis, is that they read like they're coming out of the ancient world. You, you, you see this, this, you know, early, early, early ancient history. And at the same time, they have a very contemporary, very modern feel to them. Now, I am not reading them in the original Greek. I, I try to teach myself actually uh, Conine Greek, biblical Greek, because I want to do a little exegesis work. And I was relatively handy with that. And I could probably pick it up uh, in, in the future and kind of pick around. I enjoy that, but that's a little different. I, you know, when you, if you're like a young British schoolboy and you and you're in like one of these really elite private schools, you're reading Xenophon in the Greek. You're translating it from the Greek. I didn't read it in the Greek. I read it, I read it in English. Forgive me. Uh, what a loser I am. But, but when you read these books, they have a decidedly contemporary feel to them. And that's not the translation necessarily. There's something about the ancient Greek writing, some of it, that, that, um, that is contemporary. And I think what that is, is it's those ideas and their way of thinking is what helped found the current Western mind. That, that's why we talk about Greece being the cradle of Western civilization. And, uh, and the Romans picked up from there, and, and then you had some Judeo-Christianity, and next thing you know, you got, uh, you got Western Civ. Uh, I know, Western Civ, terrible thing these days. Um, forgive me for even talking about it. I don't mean to commit thought crime, but it is what it is. What is democracy's fatal flaw? In other forms of government, in monarchies, in uh, aristocracies, there is a group of people, an individual or a group of people, not the mob, that gets to decide where society goes. They, they are the guardians of the society. They are the gatekeepers of society. They make decisions based on what they think is best. Now, one can argue that they will make decisions based on what's best for them, or they will make decisions on what's best for uh, their offspring, and they will take advantage of the people. And absolutely, like I said earlier when I opened, any source of power, any government will attract individuals to it that are unsavory, that are narcissistic, that are self-centered at times, often, actually. And that's because mankind is flawed, typically. But when you look at uh, these forms of government, Forget the 
actual working out, but the forms of these government, they rely on a small group of people to make decisions. Now, what you get with an aristocracy or even a monarchy that has an aristocracy, I think of, uh, of England back in the day when America, the Civil War, or even before that, uh, many of the European houses, uh, you know, Philip, the king of France and Spain, uh, kings of France and Spain, I'm not talking about the same king, Habsburgs and these different houses, Stuarts and so on. Um, they had the time to study to think, to debate, to ponder, to make these decisions. One of the things about being landed gentry, we kind of look at this snobbery, well, they didn't have to work, you know, they just, they just lay about all day. And they, yeah, absolutely, some of them were like that. But, but the idea behind it, not necessarily how the human beings did it, but the idea behind having that leisure wasn't that you sat and played cards and, and drank whiskey and chased women around. The idea was that you would avail yourself, that you had a responsibility, an obligation to be educated, to be erudite, to be a man of letters, to understand the world you lived in. This is often why aristocrats would travel. They would, they would go to other countries. They would intermarry across countries is why you get a house like the Habsburgs that had family members in different, different, uh, different you know, courts across Europe. Uh, this is why you might have a king in England who was actually a Norman. Sometimes the king couldn't even speak English. He was speaking French or Latin, and his people spoke English. Like, this is why you had these kind of cross-pollinating, if you will. These people were given to leisure in order that they could prepare themselves for the responsibility of leadership. Not meaning leisure that I can lay around, but they didn't have to work for a living so that they could be ready to lead. They were tutored. They were educated. They were expected to test themselves and take on responsibility and to study. The idea being that leadership requires wisdom. It requires insight. It requires understanding. It requires a worldview and a perspective that equips one to make good decisions. This is why we don't say to a child, well, you decide. I mean, sure, if it's like, what's for dinner tonight? You want to have a little fun? You can say to your kid, well, you decide, Timmy. What do you want for dinner? Timmy goes, well, I want peanut butter and hot dogs. And if, you're, and if you're in a benevolent mood as a parent, you go, hey, what the heck? Let's have peanut butter and hot dogs. <laughs> It'll be fun. We'll have a good time. And Timmy will learn a good lesson that that's probably not a good combination. By the way, if you hear noise in the background, I want to let you know that we are currently upgrading an element, an aspect of Gaston Manor. We're having the kitchen remodeled. And uh, uh, the fine team is busy doing some work right now, trying to beat the clock here on a Sunday afternoon and get something wrapped up. So if you're a little noise in the background, that's because we are improving the facility here at Gaston Manor. So you don't ask an uneducated, unequipped, uh, uninformed individual to lead. But when you have a democracy, and you can argue America is not a democracy, America is a uh, it's a republic, it's a representative democracy, it's a representative government. We could talk about that all day long, and, and I have strong opinions on that. But for today's discussion, we're going to talk about America in the terms of a democracy. And let's face it, more and more of the population in America just assume that we are a democracy. More and more of the population are asking the question, why can't, excuse me, why can't uh, I just decide? Why can't we just vote? We've got the technology, why can't I just push a button? We should be able to vote on everything. Technology democratizes power. T technology makes it easier for people to share their vote. 
Democracy allows people to express themselves instantaneously in the moment. There's no reason why we can't become more and more and more of a democracy. And we could talk about, you know, if that's good or bad in a different discussion. But I want to talk about this idea that America is a democracy. I know we're a representative government, but there's a fatal flaw. And that is when you are a democracy, when you are democratizing power, when you're putting power when you're putting the future of your society, when you are putting the, the direction of your culture, when you're putting the, the, en- the, um, the levers and buttons and the engine of your economy in the hands of the people to decide how it should happen, you are, you are in essence asking the people to lead. Now, yes, I understand, you know, if you're down in South Carolina Right now, Lindsey Graham, he's in a fight for his life. He's got to try to, he's trying to keep his position. He's a representative. You vote for Lindsey, then Lindsey goes off to Washington and Lindsey fights for you. Not really, but he, he makes you feel like he's fighting for you. He gets a lot of TV time. He gets a cute little quips. He's against Trump. He's for Trump. He's against Trump. And I like Lindsey Graham. I got nothing against him. I don't know the guy. Never met him. But, uh, but he's a likable personality as far as TV personalities are going or go. But essentially... Essentially, when you have a democracy, you are putting the power in the hands of the people. Now, we have some issues in America, and we, I know our representatives go off and they get enriched in Congress and the Senate. They make a ton of money. They don't vote our interests, lobbying, and so on. But to me, that's not the fatal flaw. By the way, I want to say hello to Pauline, Pauline Weinberger, joining the stream. She says, this idea was talked about in the movie The Circle. Now, I did not see The Circle. I did not see The Circle. Uh, I had a buddy that watched it and he told me it was a dog. He said the movie was no good. So I just, I panned it. I didn't even tr- watch it, but I, you've kind of piqued my interest. And I'll keep going here, Pauline. I'd like to know if I'm still on track with the circle. When you put power in the hands of the people, you're essentially saying to them, you are the ones leading. And I go back to this idea that a leader has to be equipped. A leader has to be ready. They have to have knowledge and wisdom and insight and understanding. And so what you get is, a population that has to be educated, if you're going to give them the power of the vote, if you're going to allow people to express their will, and you're going to allow that collective will to decide the fate of their fellow countrymen, the fate of the country, where it goes, and the decisions and the policies and the direction of a nation. In in the case of America, over 300 million people, if you're going to allow the individuals to make that decision, then you have to make sure that those individuals are educated. And this is where we get at the weak link in the chain. This is where we get at the weak link in the chain. Now, in America, we have public education. And one of the reasons we make education mandatory, now there are a couple of reasons I believe that we do this. I think one is to prepare ourselves a good workforce. I think historically we want people that can do the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic so that they can get in and be good employees. We need people that can add two and two and get four. We need people that can read instructions and do what, they, what they're told. We put people through an institutionalized educational system so they know when the bell rings, you stand up and you move to the next class and you're preparing a group of workers. I know it's a little cynical, but, but I believe strongly that that's what a lot of education has been through the years. But one of the foundational ideas behind making sure that people get educated is making sure that they're in a position to to cast a vote intelligently. You want people to have some historical background. You want people to have a smattering of economics. You want them to have enough education that they can look at the world around them and understand how to make a, a good decision. 
Now, in addition to that, so you've got education on one hand. In addition, in addition to that, you have a free press. This is why in the Constitution, the First Amendment of the Constitution, the press is protected. I'm going to read it to you. This is uh, the statement from the First Amendment of the American Constitution. And it says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. So you heard in there uh, three really critical, four maybe. The first one is Congress shall not make any national religion. There should be no religion established through Congress. You have the freedom to exercise your religion as you see fit. Government should not get, in a lot, get, get involved. They should not prohibit the free exercise thereof, meaning you should be able to practice your religion without any, any uh, interference from any level of government in the U.S. Uh, they should not abridge the freedom of speech. They should not limit what you can say. You can say whatever you want to say here in America, in theory, not always in practice, but in theory. And it, the press shall be free. You should have a free press. Now, we take the freedom of press for granted here in America, but other countries have not and still don't have a free press, even in England. I mean, you, there are certain elements of the press that are not as free as in America. And the right to peaceably assemble and make your voice known if you're not happy about what's going on in the government and your grievances. The whole idea behind the free press was to make sure that the, uh, that the press could help educate people. If I'm sending people to school to get them educated, and I've got a press giving them information about the world around them, current events, situations, reportage on happenings. This idea is to help the American voter be educated and to understand the world around them and the goings on, the policies, the, the things that are at, at stake, what, what's in play, so that Americans can make decisions when it comes time to pull the lever in in the, in, the, in the voting booth or cast a ballot in the ballot box as it used to be. Now, this is the whole idea that if you are going to give the vote to the average person, that you have to make sure the average person has the ability to make an intelligent vote, make an intelligent decision. And this, my friends, to me is the fatal flaw in democracy for a number of reasons. I know in America, and this is situational, but in America... 95% plus of our population is educated by the state. Educated by the state. What I mean by that is public education. Now you go, well, hold on a second, Mike. The school districts, they're, they're local. Like in your town or village, that's your school district. You can get involved. You know, you, you can sit and get on the board. You can different um, committees. You can have an influence. But that day's come and gone because even though you have school districts, they're all getting federal money. And they're all now receiving the common core curriculum from the federal government mandated to teach this thing. And you could say, well, that's just arithmetic and some you know, reading and so on. But that, that's just going to grow. You know that's going to grow. That's how it happens. It's a wedge. You get the wedge in there, you widen the wedge. So you have now a, a country relying on individuals to cast their vote. And yet those individuals on one hand are being educated by the very state that they're voting for or against. Now think about that. The very people that you're voting for and sending off to Washington, sending off to your re respective state government uh, or municipal, your children, you and your children are, have been and are being educated by the very people behind the system that you're voting about. You don't see any conflict of interest there? 
There's no conflict of interest there that the state is educating you so that you vote. And yet there's no idea, no thought that you might vote one way or the other. You don't think that people over time will begin to vote more and more statist, more and more big government. They won't look more and more to the government to solve more and more of their problems. Now, I'm not one to say we should leave people out in the streets to starve to death or to die from sickness and disease and that government has no place in our life and, you know, we should just be uh, anarcho-capitalists, as I said before. I'm not one of those people. I'm not anti-government. I'm not anti-leadership. Mankind is made for good governance. We crave and desire good governance. We want it. All the way from our birth to our death, we crave and desire and flourish under good government. Whether that's the governance of your parents in a, in a home, a good home, good leadership, loving, supportive, firm, value, enriched with good values and love and so on. Who, who doesn't want that in a home? We, we desire that. You come from that background. You're so grateful for it. If you hear somebody else that does, that does come from that you're, and you didn't, you feel either jealous or a sense of awe, like, wow, that's amazing. I wish I had that. I never had that. I have to overcome that I didn't have that. We know the value of good governance even in the family life. And that extrapolates out into all other institutions. If you go, you know, education, uh, if you're involved in religious church activities, and even in just in the general of our society, the, the politics, we want good governance. We want good leadership. How many times have you been in a business meeting, a work meeting, and it's led by somebody who doesn't know what the hell they're doing? It's painful. That's a, that's a form of governance. That person is governing that meeting. They don't know what they're doing. They're, they've got the wrong motivations. They've got the wrong perspective. And, and it's, it's a mess. It's very painful. So good governance, we desire and crave good governance. And when you give the state full reign to educate the future voting citizens of the society, how do you think the state's going to educate them? It's not going to say like, hey... <laughs> We spend way too much money, bro. You should probably make us stop. That's <laughs> just not going to happen. And why would it? So that's the one problem. So on the one hand, you've got the state educating your population. The idea behind education is to prepare these individuals for uh, productive work lives so they can generate wealth and tax revenue for the state. I'm so cynical. But on the other hand, is to educate these individuals so that they can cast their vote responsibly. On the other side of the coin, you have the media, whose job is to inform the population so that the population, again, can make good decisions. And we've gotten to a place in our society and in our media where we cannot trust the media. I'm not talking about the left. I'm not talking about the right. I'm not talking about the big five, MSN, whatever you want to, uh, M5M. I'm not talking about the independent little journalists. You cannot trust the media anymore. You can't trust them to inform you. Everything is agendized. Everything has a narrative. Everything is towards an end. And that end is not to educate you or I. The end is to get us to believe or to think or to see in one way or the other. I look at, and the reason I use George Stephanopoulos uh, on my thumbnail, I look at the town halls that happened. You know, there was going to be this debate. Uh, Trump got the COVIDs, bounced back like a champ. You know, he took his mask off like he defeated, like he's a wrestling star, WWE. Rips the mask off on the balcony like a little Mussolini, letting you know how tough he is. He eats his vegetables, don't you worry. And... <laughs> 
<laughs> and thank God he beat it. I mean, I, I think it is a demonstration. Of course, he's got the finest medical in the world, right? But, it, but the guy beat it. I think there is a narrative in there that we should pay attention to. But, but you know, I think the, the election committee, whatever, said, oh, no, 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 we can't have a live debate. You might kill Joe Biden. He's pretty frail. And if you're still, you know, shedding the COVID virus, Joe catches it. He's a goner. So uh, we got to protect Joe. Let's have the debates remote. And Trump said, I'm not doing it. I'm either live or nothing. And so they ended up with these town halls. And they each did independent town halls. They ran at the same time. If you were watching any of the news, it was in America, at least it was all over the place. Oh, my God. It's so unfair that they're running them at the same time. Poor Joe Biden. Trump's evil. Shame on NBC, ABC, whoever it was that ran Trump. But when you watch these, what the real story was the tenor and the attitude and the questioning in each one. The Trump, the Trump town hall, uh, the, the interviewer, I forget her name, something Guthrie, she was brutal. I mean, she was antagonistic. She was downright disrespectful and mocking of the president. She, she was battling him. I mean, she was just battling him. And that, that's fine. I don't, I'm not upset with her for going after him. I was disappointed, and Trump has done this to himself. He's been so belligerent and so disrespectful to those around him. He creates an aura of disrespect. So for someone to disrespect him doesn't bother me, but what troubles me is the, de the degradation of the office of the president. You go, well, it's the president's fault. Hey, look, two wrongs don't make a right. Two wrongs just don't make a right. If Trump is degraded, in degraded, 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 segregated, <laughs> uh, legislated... <laughs> <laughs> if if Trump has degraded the 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 office of the president, I don't I don't necessarily agree with that. But like, truly, he's brought the 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 tenor of uh, of conversation to a new low. But, but we should protect the office of the president. We shouldn't just crap on whoever is the president. We shouldn't be disrespectful. We shouldn't mock that person on international television. I just don't think that's good for us as a nation. We don't have to pretend. She doesn't have to pretend that he's a great guy and just, you know, but there's a, there's a level of decorum. There's a level, you know, like if you don't agree with the queen when you're in Buckingham Palace, you still bow. And if you don't, I think they make you. Like you don't openly disregard and mock someone in that role. You just show some, you can hate her, you cannot agree with her, you can oppose her at every turn, but when you're face to face, you have to show uh, the, the appropriate respect. Okay, so Trump, he, he took a drubbing. He, he did fine. He hung in there. I don't, think, I don't think she hurt him. He fought back. That's what he does. He loves it. He probably loved having someone like her attack him. The reason I bring this up is on the other side, you've got Joe Biden having uh, a, a, a really like a fireside chit-chat with uh, George Stephanopoulos. I mean, they should have just gotten into their, their little fuzzy jammies, had some hot cocoa, the two of them snuggled up with the fire. I mean, it was just, it was just like a love fest. You know, Stephanopoulos, he didn't... It was just like this really respectful conversation, this really, you know, easygoing. And then later, oh, you know, I forgot to ask uh, Joe about his son Hunter in the latest news. I mean, how do you forget that? Come on, that's just ridiculous. So why do I bring this up? I bring this up to say the media is deciding for us what we can and can't know. The fallout from the Hunter Biden uh, laptop scandal and the subsequent China emails, you know, the way that the media has decided, we're just not letting people know this. We're not going to report it. We're going to immediately poo-poo it. You know, four years ago, they were more than happy to expose the Steele dossier because people had a right to know. Even if this is fictitious, 
this idea of you know Trump uh, wanting to be urinated on or so just bizarre stuff. Whether true or not, like their argument was, well, people need to know this. We have to put this out there because people need to know. The, the voter needs to know. The voter needs to know. But suddenly, magically, the voter does not need to know about potential billions of dollars of corruption across multiple countries for the man that is running for president of the United States of America. Seemingly, it was an outrage that Donald Trump may have been helped by the Russians, and maybe he was. Although, again, hundreds of millions of dollars and I think over a year, two years of investigation uh, came up with not a whole lot of anything. It was a nothing burger. And yet we had to go through that to get to the truth. And yet on this uh, stage, for some reason, it's just, not in, it, it's just not worthy of our time or our breath. Am I crying foul? No. What I'm saying is if you have a, a system, a political system, that relies on your population knowing the truth and being able to make educated decisions. And that population can't get access to information that's reliable. If they can't be educated in a way that's objective and they can't get information from the media that is protected and enshrined in the very constitution that this society is based on, then you have a problem. And this, my friends, is what I think is the fundamental flaw in our system is that the voter, we're relying on the voter to make good decisions. And go back to any you know, vote that you were part of as a kid, uh, maybe for class president. You know, I, uh, I, think that, um, <laughs> I think that Napoleon Dynamite is a great example. You know, vote for Summer, vote for Summer. She's the good looking, you know, popular girl dating the jock. She's the blonde and so on. And you know, she's, even the school principal's in the bag for Summer. And it's a great, if you haven't watched Napoleon Dynamite, and, and you are a millennial or older, I highly recommend it. It's a fantastic show, fantastic movie. But, you know, and, and Summer gets up and she's like, I'm going to make sure that I forget what the things are. They're just vapid. You know, I'm going to make sure that there is extra pizza on Pizza Tuesdays. And I'm going to make sure that, you know, there's a soda pop machine. Or, you know, it's just that kind of stuff. Like you're, you're going to get, you know, I'm going to do all these things. And, um, you know, of course, vote for Pedro. You know, Pedro's running against her. And says, vote for Pedro and all your wildest dreams will come true, which is fantastic. Uh, let me just take a few minutes to go through some comments. We've got some great comments here in the, um, in, in the comments. Uh, Pauline says the movie was decent. She's talking about the circle. It was more of a against big tech, or she said warning against big tech. Um, and then George says, but what is the option without public schools? That's, that's a fair question, George. And I don't know what your education system is like in Austria. In the U.S., like, for instance, my wife and I, and I know not everybody can do this. This isn't necessarily the fix. But we homeschooled our kids through primary and secondary education. They, all three of them have gone off to college. I've got two right now with uh, significant college degrees, one in economics, Another one is a mechanical engineer, and, and that boy is actually thinking about um, doing his master's in engineering in Germany. So he's busy in that process right now. I have a daughter who's working on her degree and only has uh, two months to go before she completes her bachelor's degree. So our kids, very successful educationally, but we homeschooled. Uh, the other thing you see in the U.S. is private education. Private education is a big thing here. Now, what would be interesting if, I mean, you don't have to necessarily get rid of um, publicly funded education, but I think what you would need to do is you need to say, look, let's get rid of public schools or let's limit public schools to people with economic challenges that can't get anywhere else. But what I would do is say school vouchers. If you're collecting taxes, 
first of all, let the free market do its thing. Let public, let private schools spring up. Give people a voucher where they can say, hey, look, I, I have $1,000 or where that number is. And this isn't a perfect solution, by the way, because this isn't pure pre- free market. Not that free market's perfect for everything. But let them take that $1,000 to the school that they think best meets their needs, a private school. And the way that has to work is there can be no strings attached. You have to let the individuals take that $1,000 or whatever and use that voucher. Or uh, eliminate, because the way we do it in the U.S. is your school taxes are based on your property value. So we have property tax and we have school tax, both tied to the property. And so I, I want to say my wife and I, I don't know, we spent a few thousand dollars a year on school taxes. Now, if you eliminated that, my family could afford to take those few thousand and say, well, we're going to use the, that to acquire education for our children. We, we, we elected to homeschool. We still pay the taxes. We homeschooled. And the funny thing about that is a homeschooler, you would think that the school district would be available. Well, hey, you pay your taxes. We'll give you access to curriculum. That No, if you don't come to our school, screw you. You don't get to look at our curriculum. You can't borrow books. Your kids can't play on our sports teams. You get nothing and you will like it. That was fine. It was a decision we made. We like screw you. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna swim upstream. We we believe strongly enough. We're gonna do it our own way. But that's, you know, one way to solve that is to take either that tax money and allow people to make a decision with that money. But it has to be strings free, uh, because it has to allow the the school to teach what it sees as important. And I think then parents can start to say, I want my son or daughter at the school. They're focused on these things. These things align with our values. They align with what we want for our child. We think it's going to prepare our child to thrive as an adult in the future. And I think over time, the market will sort out the good schools and the bad schools. Right now, the way it works, if you're poor, you're in an inner city, those school districts are terrible. Nothing, you know, hey, look, people are trying. I'm not trying to pin the blame, but those school districts are terrible and you're not allowed to get out of that school district and you can't afford to go to private school because you don't, you're not allowed to use the voucher system. And so your son or daughter is just confined and condemned to subpar education because the state is involved. Meanwhile, if somebody else lives in like the town I'm in, which is relatively affluent, you're in a great school district and you pay more taxes, but you're fine with it. And that actually keeps out the other people you don't want in there. I'm saying get rid of public schooling, give people the money back either through vouchers or by eliminating school tax, and then let them choose the private schools that they see best and let some of the free market dynamics at play sort out the good schools and the bad schools, the good teachers and the bad teachers. Over time, people will choose the better options and those better options will thrive and people will benefit from it. That's my little uh, soliloquy. That's my little position on that. Um, George says, sorry, most people don't have the money for private schools or a stay-at-home parent for homeschooling. Exactly. I just addressed that. But yeah, you're, you're totally right. Most don't. Doughboy Biscuit, I went to public school. I took two years of Spanish class and I made A's throughout both years. Sad thing is, I still don't know a whole lot of Spanish. LOL. Uh, si, senor. I also studied uh, Spanish for a few years. I even took a year of it in college. I love Spanish. I just didn't use it. Um, we were in Spain once, uh, my wife and I, and helped a tiny bit, but they f- speak so fast in Spain that I was like, you know, I knew some vocabulary, but I was not conversant. I could read some things. Hey, I think this means, you know, whatever. And uh, 
did the same thing I mentioned to you. I, I had studied a little bit of Greek uh, for biblical studies, and we were in uh, Greece, my wife and I, for a couple of weeks, and that actually paid off. I mean, that's not even a Latin alphabet. I was able to read stuff and go, oh, I think this is a... You know, I could figure it out a little bit. It was kind of cool. Um, again, I could not converse in Greek, but... Um, yeah. All right. Oh, actually, Doughboy says, I don't watch the news on TV as much as I used to. I get most of the news on my own by doing my own research or from other people like friends, family, and or strangers. Well, and that's the thing, Doughboy, that's fantastic. But how many people do you think actually do that? I mean, I just don't think that's the norm, uh, unfortunately. And I think people are easily manipulated. We're, you know, I, I feel like the news right now has become more of a ratification of my own feelings. You know, think of it this way. You've got four different programs. I think it's four different programs right now. Maybe there are more that are news programs, but they're actually comedy shows. I think of The Daily Show and, you know, John Oliver and, and these different guys like uh, The Colbert Report uh, or Rapport, whatever it's called. I mean, these are all news shows and people are actually going to these shows to get their news, to get their opinion, to understand. I don't think that they're going there solely, but my point is they're not going... I mean, they're... It's a comedy show. It's entertainment. And I think that's a lot of what the media has become. It's kind of a cheering squad for a given side, a given agenda, a given team. It's become more of a team sport. It's us versus them, winner take all. It is not really about being informed and making good decisions. Uh, Pauline says, I agree, George. Private schools aren't an option for 75% of the population. I think they're not the way things are structured right now, but the government's already collecting taxes. For me, I don't like taxes. I don't like government interference, but let's say we collect the taxes, but we give them to people in need to let them choose. My wife and I could afford, it was difficult. We had to make sacrifices, but we could afford to homeschool three children. We were able to live on one income. We had to make some sacrifices at times. We did well. I mean, we, th we, we financially did okay, but it was hard at times. And, you know, owning your own business isn't always glory days. The money's not always raining. There were, there were long periods of time where we had to go with no income and so on, but we were able to make it work. So I think there are families out there that can make it work. And I knew some working class families that, that were able to make homeschooling work. So, so I know that's possible, but take the tax money if you have to. And, and distribute it, redistribute the wealth and allow people to choose. That's the bigger issue right now. I'm not saying this revolutionary new system, I'm not saying scrap everything. Let people choose. Weaken the teachers' unions and let people choose with their dollars and their feet where they want to put their kids. Right now in America, you can't do that. And unfortunately, for the size country we are, you, you know, if you are in a bad zip code, which lots of people are, you're doomed. All right. Uh, let's see. Pauline says, how are you going to plan for teachers and size of schools with the voucher system? I'm not sure I understand. I, I mean, I understand the words of the question. I'm not sh sure I understand the issue that you're raising. Um, so I'm not, I'm not sure how to answer that. I, I, I'm, I'm not, ultimately the market will decide if lots of people start going to a certain school with their voucher money because that school is better that school is going to be able to increase its size hire better teachers and so on have better programs the schools that are losing students are going to dry up and fade away and that's not bad that's a little i mean i, I know people hate this but it's creative destruction i mean boo-hoo but if you weren't doing your job in the first place you don't deserve uh, thousands of kids coming into your doors every day the the the, the team that is doing the better job 
they deserve the students. And if they can grow and handle that, great. If they need to hive off, if they need to replicate the model, I'm fine with that. There are some dangers. Look, it's not a perfect solution. You don't want this big corporatist uh, education system. You don't want people brainwashed for corporate. There's got to be some checks and balances, but this current system is not working. I don't care what anybody says. You don't want the state educating the people that are voting for the state. It's the fox and the hen house. You've got to separate those somehow, and they're not separated right now. They're just not. So do I have the perfect answer besides my, my uh, glorious rule for you know, uh, life? No, I'm willing to talk about it. But I can tell you what we've got right now is not working. And it's, it's destroying the democracy, quite frankly, a democracy that relies on people being properly educated, not properly educated in reading, writing, and arithmetic, but like educated to think. People are being trained to think for themselves. You can't tell me that the current school system is teaching people to think for themselves. It is teaching group think. It is teaching state think. It is teaching pop culture. That's about it. Uh, Doughboy says, most of the teachers I had in public school only tried to teach you how to pass the main test that we had to take at the end of the year. Well, that, a, lot, a lot of times that's because that's how they were graded. I mean, it's the law of unintended consequences, but that's how they're being graded, and so that's what they have to do. Um, your test system is retarded, parent. Uh, your test system is retarded, parent. Oh, retar patent, patent. Uh, and then she says, pardon the phrase. I'm not sure what you're trying to say, but yeah, our test system is pretty bad. I think that's what you're trying to say, Pauline. Uh, fair enough. Um, Bill Maher is, a com is comedy news. Exactly. Bill Maher's comedy news. Now, he's got an edge. You know he's, he's also a partisan. I mean, Bill Maher is not like, I'm out there for the truth. He believes he knows the truth already, and he's out fighting the good fight against those that he thinks aren't uh, truthful or worthy of the truth or line up with his version of truth. I mean, he's a hardcore leftist, uh, and he's a comedian, and um, and he loves to bring people on and beat them up. And it would be great, you know, if somebody was a leftist comedian, but they said, look, I'm really interested. I'm, I'm intellectually curious. I want to understand why you believe what you believe. I don't want to just destroy you for laughs. I don't want to destroy you to make me look good. And, and have a good argument. Like, fight it out. I don't mind that. Have a winner and a loser, even. I don't care about that. But be intellectually honest. These shows, and, and they've got to do it because you've got to keep the audience happy. The audience wants the fight. The audience wants mockery of the quote-unquote enemy. They want a bad guy. They want a good guy. They want Bill Maher to win. The people that like Bill Maher, they want him to win. You know, on the right, you talk about, oh, you know, own the libs. I own the libs. Oh, you got the libertarian or the liberal on, and I owned them. How stupid. You've been owned. Uh, I'm sure it's the same thing on the left. It's not conductive or productive or, or, or helping us. I, I'm not saying we should be centrist. You know, I talk to these people who are so centrist that they don't have an opinion. Well, I don't think fighting's good. I don't like to argue about I hate that. That just tells me that you don't believe in anything worth fighting for. That's kind of troubling. But on the other hand, just trying to destroy the other side, there's no intellectual honesty. There's no depth of thinking. There's no arriving at a wiser, deeper position. There's no... It's just red meat. You're just trying to impress the people that are on your side, and that's too bad. Doughboys says, most Christian conservatives know that the liberal media is pretty bad. But in my opinion, the conservative, quote-unquote, media is more dangerous because most conservatives believe everything they put out. Well, that's it. I mean, that's part of my point. I'm not trying to say that, oh, the liberals. I'm just saying you can't get good information from the media doesn't matter what side you're on. If you're watching Fox News, you're being brainwashed. If you're watching MSNBC, 
you're being brainwashed. I, I, I don't care how clean cut. I don't care how well spoken. I don't care how sincere the personality seems on camera. You're being brainwashed. You are not being educated. And this is the fundamental flaw in democracy, at least in this democracy, is that the average person is not being prepared for the responsibility of the vote. Now, we could talk about the two-party system as a problem. We could talk about corruption as a problem. Uh, you know, we could even talk about the American temperament, where we tend to think we know everything when we know nothing. <laughs> and I'm not saying Americans are stupider than I'm just saying, like, Americans tend to be overconfident. We, we're very confident in ourselves, in our opinions. And maybe other countries are the same way. I've traveled a little bit. I mean, I just haven't seen the level of confidence. There are other countries that are confident. They accomplish things. They do things. They have competence. But Americans are very confident and oftentimes uh, uninformed. They're passionate about what they believe, but, but often they're believing things that are fabricated. They're narratives that they've, been, they've latched onto that for some reason motivate them and inspire them, but they aren't necessarily true. This is a challenge. Uh, Dobai says, I agree. George says, we have in Austria a law that you have to send your kid to kindergarten because some kids from migrant families were not learning German and then had no chance in school. That's excellent. Yeah, we, had, we have kindergarten here too. I went to kindergarten. I think that's a thing here in the U.S. You have to start in kindergarten. Typically, you're about five years old. I think I started kindergarten at four uh, graduated high school at the age of nine. Okay, that's an exaggeration. I, you know why I started a year early? My mother started me in a kindergarten a year early. And now you would say, wow, Mike, you just must have been so advanced. Your mother must have looked at you and said, I have brought a genius into this world. I must send him to be educated so that he can enlighten others on the path to righteousness. But no, no, that's not why I went to school at the age of four. There were two mitigating factors. <laughs> One was uh, there was a neighborhood of kids, and I was just a year younger than most of the kids in the neighborhood that I played with. They were going off to school. My mom's like, well, you know, if your friends are going to school, do you want to go to school too? But the real reason, the real reason behind it was I think I was such a pain in my mother's ass. <laughs> I think I was such a handful that she was like, I have got to get a break from this kid. I have to send him somewhere and kindergarten came like a savior to her and said, we'll take him for half a day. In America, you're five years old. Back in the day, I think now it might be a full day, but back in the day, it was a half day. And I got sent off for half a day. And I think my mother got to just like take a deep breath, try to regain her sanity <laughs> before little Michael Lewis Gaston came back uh, for the second half uh, of the game. Good times. Good times. <laughs> <laughs> when I was older, my mother would be angry at me. You know what she would say when she'd lose her temper? And mom, forgive me if you're watching this, uh, but it's just the funniest thing she, she would say. And this was out of anger. This wasn't, a, this wasn't a blessing. This is, I hope when you get older, you have kids just like you. <laughs> that, was, that, was the, that was what she said to me. I hope when you're older, you have kids just like you. And that was always said in frustration and anger because I was probably driving her nuts. And she's like, you deserve, you deserve the headache that you're giving me. Now, fortunately, uh, her wish never came true. I have three lovely kids, just great, great kids. I'm so, I'm both humbled by them. They're such great kids and proud of them. Uh, uh, I take credit for something because I'm their dad and I've worked very hard with my wife to help raise the family, but I don't take credit away 
from them. They're just fantastic people and i um, grateful for them. And my mom loves me and I think she loves, uh, you know, the family that I have too. So I think she's happy for me. No bad blood there still from the, from the old days, but she, I think she just didn't know how to manage me at the time. So, you know, this is what happens when you bring a world dictator into this world, you know, you get your hands full and I just don't think she knew what she had on her hands. Um, so there's that. Let's take a look at a couple more comments here before we wrap up the podcast. And uh, when I wrap up, I'm going to stay online and chit chat with folks, but let's get a few more comments in here. Uh, Pauline says, that's a German phrase that we all use, kindergarten. That's right. Uh, school is mandatory here at grade one. So you don't have to go to kindergarten, I guess. Um, Pauline says, this podcast would be a shadow of itself if you had gone to school at five. That's right. That's right. The, going to school a year early prepared me for greatness. Um, I have to say, when you go to school, when you, you go, oh, well, that's cool. You, what you don't understand if you haven't gone to school early is, you know, at, at, at most development, age five all the way through to, let's say, 16, one year is a huge difference in development. One year, you, you look at the difference between a five-year-old and a six-year-old. There's a big difference physically, emotionally, confidence levels. And so I was sent to school early. I think intellectually, I was fine. It wasn't like I was struggling. I was, I was a good, like I, was, I loved reading as a kid. Um, I had a mouth on me, you know, surprise, surprise. Here I am behind the mic. Um, you know, I was able to hang. I, I, had, I had mild dyslexia, so I struggled a little bit with mathematics uh, it's probably why I'm a marketing guy and not a physicist. <laughs> but um, but the thing about it is I didn't struggle academically. Uh, and if I did, it was because I was uninterested in the academics. There were other things that interested me. Uh, but I did have a hard time socially. Now, I, I, I felt like I got picked on a lot when I was a little kid. I didn't feel like I fit in. I felt uh, insecure on certain levels. You know, so, so what you get is you get one kid in the class who's been held back a year. Now, let's, let's say you're in fifth grade now. You got one kid or a few kids have been held back. These kids are like smoking pot and drinking beers already. You got me on the other end of the spectrum who's like a year younger than the bulk of the class. I might be two years younger than the oldest kid in the class. And, uh, and those kids, they look for weakness. You know, like I got, I got focused on a little bit. My father, when I was young, God bless him, Vietnam War vet. He grew up on the streets of uh, Utica, New York, um, grew up a little rough. He's like, hey, you're going to have to fight. Like, he wasn't telling me to go in and cause fights. Be like, you have my permission to stand up for yourself. You know, he tried to teach me how to throw a punch and all that kind of thing. And you got you to gotta stand up for yourself. And gosh darn it, if he wasn't right. And I remember one time, <laughs> I don't know if I've told this story in the podcast before. One time, I don't, I don't know what happened. I got on the, the, you know, the school bus ride home because I went to private schools. As a Catholic boy, went to Catholic schools, Pauline. I'm a product of Catholic education. Uh, I got on the bus, and on, the buses were often unruly. This is the 70s and early 80s. This would have been like the late 70s, I think. You get on the bus, and you might get shoved around. Your books might get, you know, like kids were a little wild. The bus driver... This, this is back in the day, like nobody was talking about bullying, like, oh, we can't have the kids bullying because that's like not nice and stuff. No, it was like, you got your butt kicked. That's just how life worked. And uh, so I get on the bus and as I was walking down the, the path of the bus, the middle aisle to find my seat, I, I, I can't remember if the kid hit me in the back of the head or if he, you know, I had like a stack of books and papers under my arm, if he knocked that and kicked it down like he just he did something he I think he I think he knocked I think it was he 
knocked my books and papers and kicked them right down the aisle of the bus. And you can imagine, it was just like everywhere. And uh, I turned around and, and probably landed about five punches on his face. Like I just unloaded on this kid. Now I had a little bit of a temper. I wasn't like a, a but, but when I, I had an icy cold temper, I never lost my mind, but when I let it go, I, I, I was mean. <laughs> so, so long and short of it is I, I was destroying this kid and the bus driver jumped up and kind of slammed me back. Here's this big guy with the beer belly, like shoving me back and yelling at me. You know, I'm little, I'm smaller. This guy's like got six inches on him. He's bigger. He's older than me, but I'm whooping him. Right. The bus driver's mad at me. So, uh, I get, I get kicked off the bus, but to get, so I get kicked off the bus and then there's a phone call. My father has to now go into the superintendent of the school, of the busing district, whatever, uh, and have a discussion because of my behavior and I'm being suspended from the bus. And my father brought me with him. And my dad and I, you know, usually back in the day, you do something, you're going to get hammered. Like your dad and mom's going to be furious. Well, you got in trouble. You know, now I'm, I'm going to, my punishment's going to be worse than the school district. So my father looked at me and said, I'm proud of you. And I'm going to go defend, I'm going to stick up for you. They have no, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I go in with my father and I'm, I'm not smug. Like I'm just a kid. I'm sitting there. I'm not grinning, but my father unloads on the superintendent of busing for our school district and essentially says to him, I'm not going to, because he's your son and your son. He's like, no, I don't want to hear any of it. It's you and your bus driver. You guys don't control things. My son's been picked on forever. I support him. I told him if he has to, if no one else is going to defend him, he's got to stick up for himself. And he did what was right. And I will be glad to drive my son into school every day for the rest of the year. If need be, you should be ashamed of yourself. He dressed him down. And the guy was kind of stammering a little bit because I, I just think in the seventies, you didn't talk to people like that. My dad gave him an earful. He's a Vietnam vet. What did he care what this guy thought? And my dad was a, he, he was not an executive, but he was like a manager. He, he had some responsibility. So for him, you know, to take time every morning to drive me to school, that was a big deal. Like parents didn't do that so much back in the day. And um, I remember the feeling, it's a very interesting thing, but I remember feeling safe and secure in my father's authority in that moment. Now, my dad and I didn't always have a great relationship uh, we butted heads a lot. There were things that he did that I really didn't like. But in that moment, he really rose to the occasion as a father and uh, stood up for me for what was right. So uh, you could argue, oh, fighting's wrong and so on. But in that moment, my father stood up for me and said, uh, this is what it looks like to be a man. And uh, not meaning that I fought like a man, just saying as a father, he was going to stand on the side of what was just and right. He wasn't picking sides just because I was his son. It was immoral what was happening. I was being abused, and, and he taught me to stick up for myself, and he wasn't going to punish me. Now, he didn't go after them. He didn't call an attorney and say, we're going to sue the district. He didn't care about that kind of crap. Buck up. You took your beating. Move on. You're a man now. But uh, always appreciate that about my father. Uh, for all the other things that he and I may not have seen eye to eye on, that was a fantastic one. All right, let's get a couple more comments before we wrap things up, people. Uh, we got this. Pauline says, we can choose half or full day. Full day is only two or three days a week. Half is every day. Well, it's kind of six one, half dozen in the other, isn't it? If, uh, if I'm doing the math right. George says, as soon as you are a dictator, the CIA will find you, uh, find for you these kids from your school time and teach them things in, in a black site. <laughs> oh, dear Lord, no. Here's, here's the thing about that. 
and this I think is an important quality, uh, not only for dictators, but just for people in general. I don't hold any animus to any of those people. The, su the superintendent, the bus driver, they probably passed away. And this is back in the 70s. They're already you know mature people. Usually bus drivers are retirees that are driving a bus. I hold no animus to any of these people. As an adult now who's lived many decades uh, and people have pointed fingers at me for not doing things right, Look, we've all got our own life we're trying to live. For all I know, one of those guys going through a divorce. For all I know, the kid that kicked my crap all over the floor was it was from an abusive home. Like, I don't wish anything ill on anybody. Those were those were tough years in some ways, but I look back on them in fondness. I'm grateful for my bringing up. It was tough in some ways. I mean, it was tough being smaller. Uh, it was tough being younger. I'm grateful for it. I don't have any anything to look back on and go, well, I hope that someday I could show those guys life's too short. And I have been given too much goodness to look back at anybody. And quite frankly, uh, I'm hoping that people afford me the same grace. I wasn't always a good person to the other people around me. Uh, so, you know, I wasn't always, I didn't always behave in a way that was, um, you know, when, as a teenager, I was pretty wild and, and rebellious. I wasn't Christ-like. I didn't treat people right all the time. I did things I'm not proud of. And, uh, and I know other people probably feel the same way about their life. And no one did anything so egregious to me that, that that they need to have a black hood and a little bit of waterboarding just to make things equal. <laughs> it wasn't that bad, but uh, that's that's a story. Well, that's what you come to this podcast for. We're talking about the fundamental flaw in democracy, but really it's about me. It's, it's about me and my stories. Guys, if you are not here live, you're missing it. It's a great time. I would love for you to join, not just because you'll enjoy it, but I would love to have you here live in the chat. It's just so much fun with the folks here. So I want to encourage you, if you're listening uh, and, and, you, and you've got the time, jump in on YouTube. Just look for Mike Gaston live, uh, subscribe, hit the bell, all that crap. And uh, YouTube, if it feels that my content is appropriate to the modern narrative, will alert you uh, and let you know, unlike George, who did not get the alert today. But uh, I want to thank everybody for their time. I want you to know um, that you can find this podcast in other places, too. You can find it on Google, Spotify, Amazon, Stitcher, uh, Apple Podcasts, and so on. Anywhere that fine podcasts are provided. But um, thanks, guys, for your time today. Think about this issue of democracy, its fatal flaw. I don't have the solution for you. We have to deal with it the way it is. But it's important to understand uh, that we need to be educated. This, this, the vote isn't everything. This isn't our only civic duty. But if we're going to have a society based on, based on uh, the individual's vote, then the individual, it behooves us to try to get educated as best we can. And let's not assume that watching a news program, reading the Drudge Report or the Daily Beast or whatever, that that's going to really give us a fair and clear view of the world. It doesn't matter how clean cut and smooth sounding these presenters and personalities and newscasters and media folks are. We have to find it for ourselves. Guys, I love you all and I will catch you in the next episode.